what is missions? That's what we're talking about this week. So what is missions? Uh, so I'm going to look at a lot of verses, but uh, I have been accused of preaching the whole Bible in one service. But uh, when I think about our mandate that God has given us, and that is missions, I believe, in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, and these are, of course, familiar passages, but Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So as we think about our mandate, of course a mandate is a command that God has given to us as churches, uh, and I believe our mandate is missions. So I have three, three points this morning, the priority of missions, the purpose of missions, the persons of missions. Um, so the priority of missions is, is really church planting. Uh, if you, you know, I used to read the Great Commission and think that's talking about just evangelizing people. That's not all there is to it. Um, of course, I've come to understand, as some of you have, that we baptize them into the church. Uh, that's the body of the church is the body. And I'm not using, you know, I could say local, but there only is one church, and that's the local one. Um, so we baptize them into the church, and we teach them to observe all things. That's more than just evangelizing. Of course, of course evangelizing is... is uh, uh, is part of it, but we teach them to observe all things. So it's really talking about establishing churches. Um, missions, one person defined it, it refers to the proclamation of the gospel and to church planning. Uh, David Cloud said in the Way of Life Encyclopedia, he said this, quote, until the early 1900s, missions were referred to almost exclusively, referred to almost exclusively church planting. Unquote. And that is what you find in the Bible, in the New Testament. Paul Barnabas, Barnabas, in their missionary journeys, as we call them, started churches. They just didn't evangelize people in cities. They started churches. They stayed long enough, when they could, <laughs> to to establish a church. And oftentimes, if they got run out of town before they could really establish things, they'd make some way or leave somebody. Sometimes they left some people. Uh, Timothy stayed one point, uh, one place longer than Paul because, because his life was threatened. Uh, but that was their purpose. And that is what the Great Commission is. And of course, the Great Commission is given to us five times in the Scripture, Matthew 28 here, Mark 16, 15 through 16. Luke 24, 46 to 48, John 20, 21, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, of course, the first mention of it, which is very important in the Bible, understanding humor nudics, gives us the most details. Uh, and really, you know, I got to think about this the other day. The New Testament is really an expose of how to be a witness and how to establish churches that glorify the Lord. Now, 
you know, it, it, the New Testament lays open for us or displays to us how to evangelize and establish churches. That's what it does. That's what the epistles are all about. You know, instructions to the churches. Um, and, of course, and, and us, to us as individuals, how to be a witness. And, of course, we do that through the church. But so that's what the New Testament is really all about. Now, the word missions or missionary is not in the Bible. We have substituted, I think, a word, uh, missionary, for a word, another word that's given in the Bible. It's called evangelist. Now, I didn't always just think this way. But uh, an evangelist, the word evangelist is only used three times. Evangelist is used twice. Evangelist is used once. And the word evangelist means a bringer of good tidings, refers to those who herald the salvation through Christ. And, of course, uh, Romans 10 and verse 15 talks about really the work of evangelists. And uh, when, it, when Paul said, in Romans ten fifteen, how and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So again, that's the work of an evangelist. And and when, if you go out in visitation, you're doing the work of evangelist. When you're witnessing day by day to your coworkers or friends or relatives, you're doing the work of an evangelist. It's a bringer of good tidings. And evangelists in the scriptures, here's, here's the interesting thing, they started churches. The first time evangelists is mentioned is in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, and it refers to Philip. Uh, and, and uh, of course, we know what Philip did in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. It says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them, and people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and were, many were taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And then verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, of course talking about the sorcerer, I'm eliminating or overlooking something here, of course the sorcerer, but... You know, that they gave heed to. But in verse 12 it says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip, Philip preached to the Samaritans. They believed. Then he baptized them. And, and then they heard about it at Jerusalem, and, and Peter and John came down, and they established a church there. Uh, so Philip was actually... He wasn't just running around just evangelizing people, seeing people get... No, he was, he, was, he was preaching to people to organize a church, to establish a church. Churches, that's what he did. Um, and, he, and the Bible says in Acts 28, 21, verse 8, that he was one of seven. So I believe there were seven of these guys that were doing this at the time. And that's where we get our word... That's where we get our word missionary. That's really what a missionary is. Uh, and we have, you know, in our, in our, in Christendom, I don't really like that term, but in Christendom, we have uh, made it as if a missionary that means you have to go to some other country. Well, that's a false idea, too. That's not in the Bible. 
It's not in the Bible either. Missions is wherever you go with the gospel. Um, there's not foreign missions and home missions. There's just missions. So, so Philip, you know, and that's, this is what the evangelists did, uh, and it was to establish churches. Uh, Ephesians 4.11, again, is another place where that word is used. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What did he give them for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Again, there you, you go back to teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So, again, the priority here is establishing churches. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 or 5, Watch down all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So, so biblically, you know, if, if a person calls himself a, min- a missionary, or if you want to use the Bible term, which is evangelist, he's not involved in church planting. He's not really a missionary. I mean, you know, I know, know people that are involved in printing, but it's a helps ministry. It's not really a missions. Uh, you know, in a roundabout way, they do help missions, but, but you know, missions is church planting. In fact, it used to be, it used to be that evangelists, as we know them today, used to start churches. Even Oliver Green. Oliver Green wasn't a local church preacher. He didn't he, he was a universal church guy. But even he, I read his he has a there's a book, uh, a couple books that one he wrote and then his uh, brother-in-law wrote one. Um, but they used to go into an area and they would spend 3 4 5 months there. They go in, you know, for for maybe 6 weeks just preparing before they start any meetings. And then those meetings might go 4, 5, 6 you know, they, they didn't put an end to it. They didn't, they didn't have an end date in mind. And when they left, their purpose was to leave a church. Amen. Even Oliver Green did that. But his brother-in-law, I'm trying to remember his name, anyway, that used to be his uh, song leader, said that all, all changed when Billy Graham started. See, that's what they did. That's what we see in the Bible. The priority of the mandate, the priority is of missions is church planting. That's what we see in the scriptures. So that is the priority. I want you to notice, secondly, the purpose, of course, the purpose of missions. Again, Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So, uh, you know, the purpose was, is to, of course, evangelize, but not only to evangelize, but to teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things. Teaching them to observe all things. So, it wasn't just evangelism, but it was further than that. It was to make disciples. Make disciples. Um, so it wasn't just to see people saved. It's to make disciples of men. You know, the disciple is one who receives instruction from another, who, one who adheres to the doctrines of another. 
And so this, was, this is the purpose of missions. And, of course, uh, uh, the Great Commission is to result in the multiplication of disciples. I believe Jesus spent most of his time teaching his disciples. He was making disciples. Um, you know, he, he continued to, to, to teach them, to instruct them, to train them. And, you know, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. He spent two years in Ephesus. You know, he spent 18 months at Corinth and then wrote three letters yet to Corinth. Now, we have two of them preserved for us by divine inspiration. The other one we don't have not preserved for us, but he mentions it in one of his epistles, uh, one, of the, one of the epistles. So he spent two years at Ephesus, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So he didn't just teach them about the doctrines of salvation. He taught them all the things, all the commandments, all the counsel of God. He made disciples of them. Uh establishing them in the faith, establishing churches where discipleship would continue. That's what churches are for. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait deceit. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, you know, I've done some construction, and when I do construction, I like to use good materials and put it together so it stays together. Um... I don't use used termite-infested two-by-fours to build something that I, that I want to stay standing. Now, it costs me more. It may take a little more time. I was talking to, uh, I was doing some work for uh, the Pastor Brisson's father. And uh, he said when he was younger, he got a job working for a contractor in Raleigh. And, um, and he said uh, they were working on building this house. They were putting up sheetrock. And he said, I went in and I put on my nail apron. I was getting ready to put the sheetrock in. The contractor came in and said, now, gentlemen, when you get this job done, you put a nail at the top and a nail at the bottom. And forget about the rest. We need to move quickly on this job. And he said, I looked at him, and he said, you have a problem with that? He said, yeah, I do. 
He said, uh, I can't do that. He said, well, then you can be done. He said, okay. He said, I took off my nail belt and got my pay for whatever time I put in, and I left. Um, you know, I was told about a guy in Maine. When we lived in Maine, I was told about a guy up there that they said he would do things like that. You know, and his houses weren't known to uphold, to stand too well. Um, <clears throat> You know, I've done a few roofs on double wides, and sometimes, not sometimes, many times, I've seen plywood nailed onto supposedly the rafters that the nails or the staples didn't hit the rafters. Um, and double wides aren't known to be the most durable houses in the world, as you all know. No, it takes, if you're going to do something well and right, uh, it takes time, it takes instruction. Um, and, and if, and if we're going to have churches that glorify the Lord, we have to spend the time and the effort to train, to teach, to instruct. Your churches have gone through things like ours and haven't survived. There's a reason why we've survived. Um, if a church is built on a man, it likely won't survive. And sad to say, I'm afraid many churches are built on men. They're built on hyper, soul-winning, shallow preaching, and not the meat of the word. And so when, when hardships come, they all turn around and flee. The sheep flee. Uh, no, we are to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is all about, is making disciples. And, and if we want to build something that will last, again, that is, a, that is a must. So that is the purpose, is to make disciples. Now I want you to notice also the persons of missions. I want you to notice the persons of missions. In verse 20 it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever... I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, it says, whatsoever I have commanded you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the command is given there, it says, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now, missions is not about the people. It's about the Lord. You know, we hear about, you know, the seeker-sensitive churches. Well, no, the person that we are to be sensitive to is God. Not the people. Now, I'm not saying we, need, we, we can be un, unsensitive to, or insensitive to people. But that ought not to be our focus. That ought not to be our focus. Our focus should be the Lord. It's about him. Uh, He says, whatsoever I have commanded you. You, We are to evangelize to please him in a way that pleases him, to glorify him. We are to use his method. It is his commandments. 
I believe easy believism was invented because the focus became man. We must reach them at any cost. And we are to reach them. We are to endeavor to reach them. But you know, we, you know, the idea is we've we got we to reach them at any cost. We must save them. Well, I'm telling you, we don't save anyone to start with. You know, we are witnesses. Notice, notice I want you to notice again, uh, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Or we might say witnesses for me. You know, we're witnesses for the Lord. Our witness, yes, is to people, but we are witnesses for the Lord. So we are to be witnesses unto him. It's about him. Uh, we have no right, we have no right to change the message or alter the word to reach people. That is not for us to do. It's not for us to decide. You know, God told Moses in Exodus chapter 25 two times. In verse 9 it says, when he's told him to build the tabernacle, he said, according to all that I showed thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Then again in verse 40, and he says, Look to that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Moses, I want you to make a tabernacle, but here's how you do it. Here's what you make it of. Here's the materials. Here's the design. Here's my blueprints. Now you see to it that you make it like I've told you. You see, it wasn't an option for Moses to say, you know, to go down from the mount with the plans and then say, well, you know, we can save ourselves a little money right here. I mean, why don't we use polished brass instead of gold for all this stuff? After all, you women are going to have to give up your looking glasses to make all this. Mm. No. Then in Hebrews 8, verse 5, he says, Who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So again, the person of missions, the first person of missions, I have two here, is the Lord. It's about him. It's about glorifying him. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapters 2, verse 11 and 12, I say, actually, it's First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven and twelve. It says, and as you know, how we exhorted, comforted, charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That don't look right either. Let me see here. First Thessalonians chapter one. I'm in chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter one. 
Um, no, it is Second Thessalonians. I'll get there in a minute. If I got the right chapter, I'd been all right. Second Thessalonians 1, 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fill all good pleasure of whose goodness? His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, Everything, you know, whether we speak or minister or whatever ability God gives us to do, whatever God gives us to do, the purpose is, or the person who's to be glorified is God. So our primary focus then is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink, that's your common practice, everyday practice, or whatsoever you do, that covers everything, do all to the glory of God. Uh, we are to study so that I can give a good Sunday school lesson. No, no. Uh, or so I can preach a good sermon. No, no. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. Even in the Old Testament, Psalms chapter 67. Psalms chapter 67. Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why would God be merciful? Why would God be bless us? What's the cause? That thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. You see, again, we're, it, it's all about the Lord. Vance Havner was an old-time Southern Baptist evangelist, and he said this, quote, the primary qualification for a missionary, or we could say for a Christian in general, is not the love of souls, as we so often hear, but love for Christ. Unquote. And that, of course, is true of a church. Someone else said, quote, The success or failure of our work as a church depends, in the last resort, largely not in the number of preachers we put into the field, nor the size of our congregations, but rather the character of Christianity we and our work produce. Unquote. You know, God's going to judge us of what sort it is, not what size it is. So he's talking about quality uh, there, not quantity. 
And I'm not opposed to quantity. You know, praying for more people. But our primary uh, person of missions is the Lord. It's the Lord. We're here to glorify Him in everything that we do. Now, there is a second person of missions, and that's the messengers. That is the missionary. That is we. We are. Uh, of course, in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go ye, therefore. Go ye. Uh, and ye, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Uh, Philip, the evangelist, again, took the gospel to Samaria. He took the gospel to the eunuch. Um, and, 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 and he was an important part, a vital part in them getting the gospel. Remember what the eunuch said? He asked him, you know, you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I, except some man should guide me? See, some people think, well, God doesn't really need me. There may be people that you are the one that God has chosen to reach. No, he doesn't need us, but he uses us to get the gospel to those who have not heard. In Acts 10, of course, Cornelius saw the vision, and the angel in the vision said, You send for Peter, who shall tell thee. Now, And, of course, we saw, uh, it was last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that we are laborers together with God. So you and I, as God's children, have a vital privilege and responsibility in getting the gospel uh, in God's priority of getting the gospel to those around us and to the world in need of the gospel. We are his ambassadors. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that. An ambassador is defined as a diplomatic official of highest rank, sent by one sovereign or state to another as its resident representative. So if you're saved this morning, God has chosen you to be an ambassador for him. That is a position of highest rank. Don't consider yourself insignificant. You're important. You're an important player in this. It's the highest rank. And you've been sent by the sovereign, not just a sovereign, but by the sovereign God as his resident representative. He's put you here or he's left you here. For purpose. You might say, well, why, do, why does he need us? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I may be going out of limb here. Well, I don't think so. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says this. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. 
Now, we understand that he's talking here about, you know, the natural man can't understand the things of God except by the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned or investigated or searched at. So we need the Spirit of God to understand God. But a man needs a man to understand man. And it tells us here, it reveals to us here in this passage that the natural man can't understand God. So that raises a question. Do you think an unsaved person thinks God understands him or needs him? Or that he can relate? Or does he think that God can relate to him? But when a man can see the work of God in another man or have the work of God explained to him by another man that can relate to that man, then he can understand. Again, God sent Peter to Cornelius. God sent Philip to the eunuch. Now these weren't uneducated men. They could read. They could read. They could think. They could analyze. But they needed a man that they could relate to. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word perfected means to add what is yet lacking in order to render a thing full. And, you know, and it says here, no man hath seen God. You know, we can't... We don't see God with our physical eyes. And, but we can, and, and just like, you know, he, he said in, uh, when uh, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus compared the work of the Spirit to the wind. The work of God to the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And if you look outside, uh, you can know that the wind's blowing because the trees may be moving or the leaves may be blowing across the lawn. Uh, you know, you see the effects of it. And, and so we can't see God. The natural man can't see God. You and I see God by the eye of faith. But we can see God in other people's lives. See, I can see God in the lives of you people. I can see him at work. You see. Now I don't see him this way. I see him with. Uh, again with spiritual eyes. Uh, by the word of God. So, so again. A man. Needs the work of God. Needs the word of God. Explained to him. He needs to be able to relate to another man. He can't rightly relate without his spirit. But he can see him manifested in us. Look at First Peter chapter two, and this is what he's talking about in First Peter chapter two, in verses nine through twelve. 
where he says that ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, sustained from flesh lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, in other words, they may see by, the, by what they see in your life, they see God working in your life. Your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, you know, again, the natural man can't see God, nor rightly relate to him without the Spirit of God, but he can see him manifested in us. What did the Lord say to Moses? I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. See, even Pharaoh, though he resisted the Lord and hardened his heart, he knew that Moses had the real God. He knew. He knew Moses had the truth. And though he couldn't, wouldn't relate to God, he did to Moses. Yet he would not, he turned away instead of receiving the truth. But you see, you and I are like that. To, to the world, we are God. We are you know, Paul said to the church at Corinth, Ye are our epistle, known and read of all men. The world is looking for God. And where they need to see it is in us. See, we are, we are the Lord's messenger. We are the Lord's epistle. Living epistle. Living epistle. They can relate to us. And through us, they can come to relate to our God if they will receive him. You see, again, God has chosen us for this time, for this place, for his purpose. You know, our theme is kind of, you know, for this time, taken from Esther. You know, Esther was in a difficult place. She was involved in a battle between evil, the devil, and the, the, and the powers of hell, and God and his promises to his people. You know, the children of Israel were on the verge of being exterminated. And if the children of Israel are exterminated, there go all of God's promises. So she's involved in this battle between the devil and God. And of course, Mordecai, Mordecai said to her, you know, maybe you're here for such a time as this. David served his own generation, then fell asleep. And we're, we're to serve our generation. You know, and we are engaged in a battle for the glory of God and the souls of men. And warfare requires devotion 
every day. You know, Peter told us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You know, so we, it requires, this warfare requires devotion every day. It requires soberness. You know, we need to take this thing seriously. It is a responsibility that God has given to us. It's a, it's a great privilege. We've been, again, we have a position of highest rank. I think it was Spurgeon that said, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. I have written in one of in the flyleaf of the other Bible I have that David Livingston said, if, if, a, if, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, why is a commission by a heavenly king considered a sacrifice? That's often how we referred to it. Oh, they really sacrificed. Really? No, it requires devotion. God did not promise us an easy road, but he did promise us grace and peace and assurance, and he'd supply our needs according to his riches and glory. But he also said in, in Timothy that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Adonai Judson said this, The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, schoolmaster, ought to be, quote, devoted for life, unquote. Now here's an example of devotion. Quote, I have now to ask whether you consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to see her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved, through her means from eternal woe and despair? Unquote. That was a letter, part of a letter, written by Adnam Judson, Dan Hasseltine's father, in which he asked permission to marry his daughter. Can you imagine a man writing to you, Dad, asking for your daughter, and writing that in a letter? That's called devotion. Devotion. You see, was it somebody said that uh, when missionaries were, were, were sailing to, I think it was India, the captain said, you're all going to die there. And the missionary replied, we died before we started. 
we died before we started. You see, Paul endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and he had died before he started. That's what he says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, if we're going to be messengers for the Lord, it requires this devotion. But is it really a sacrifice? By the world's standard, it is. But then, what is the world living for? What do they have to live for? Everything they have to live for is going to perish. We see this is the mandate that we have from the Lord. It's a privilege. It is our responsibility. It does require, God does ask of us, our devotion. You, we should not, we should not ask this, should I? give or should I pray or should I go no we should we should simply ask Lord what part will thou me to do now all of us can pray I think it was James Fraser he was missionary to China said the, the first priority of missions is prayer. The second priority of missions is prayer. And the third priority of missions is prayer. Uh, it was Oswald Smith said, uh, your finances will get us to the field. Your prayers will keep us there. Your prayer is a vital, 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 very vital part of missions. And all of us can do that. And all of us can give. All of us can give. And reality is, all of us can go. Just means that some of us may go other places, and others of us will go where we where we live. We can all we can all do this. It's not a matter of whether we should. It's a matter of whether we will. It all comes back to the will. The will. Will I surrender my will? Why be like Paul who said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So, we understand that our mandate is missions. It is missions. The priority of missions, of course, is church planning. Purpose is to make disciples and establish churches. But the persons, it's about the Lord foremost he is to have the preeminence but you and I have a vital part we are participants in this 
we work together with God. We labor together with him that others might hear the gospel, you know, for the purpose of, as we often say, reproducing ourselves. That's God's plan. That's God's mandate. So I trust that, you know, as we consider this this week, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about this. Um, may we allow the Lord to really search our hearts and ask ourselves, Lord, what wilt thou, what part wilt thou have me to do? What part? Um, let's pray.